0: Listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. Last week, we began a new series called Eyewitness, and we are specifically exploring the the appearances of Christ to the early believers during the first 40 days after the resurrection. This is important. This is important. I feel like the validity of our faith, of our, our foundation in Christ, depends on those 40 days. Because you and I probably would not be believers today without those 40 days because the men and women who committed their their lives to the spread of the gospel, the early church, it's what happens during those 40 days that gives them the boldness to accomplish what what Christ called them to do. And, And so you have to understand that these men and women, there's no other way to put this, they were cowards before the resurrection. After the resurrection of Christ. There was a boldness that took over them, and it occurs during this 40 days. During this 40 days, and it has to be that they saw a risen Christ. They saw Jesus alive, and that was enough to build their faith that, that many of them put their lives on the line for the cause of Christ. You don't, that doesn't happen unless you see a resurrected Savior. And so I believe that that 40 days and and the eyewitnesses to that, I think it's so important to our faith. Last Sunday, we looked at the first appearance of Jesus after the resurrection. And and I told you that rather than dismiss the four gospel accounts because of their differences, as some people like to point out, what you have to do is you have to realize that we've got four accounts and and we've got to piece them together. There's four observations give us a timeline of what happened. Rather than saying, well, they're they're a little different from each other, so none of it can be true— no, you're, you're, you're asking four different uh, observations, their, their, their uh, view of it. And so we piece those, those items together, and it gives us the timeline. And we went through that timeline last week. And we figured out that Mary Magdalene was the first to see Jesus alive, though she was permitted, or, or not permitted, rather, to touch him. She, she was, Jesus said, don't touch me. Eight days later... Thomas was encouraged to touch the the nail-scarred hands of Christ and even to put his hand into the side where they pierced him. Um, And and, and basically what I told you last week was that Mary needed faith enough to let Jesus go, to to believe that he is alive even when she can't see him. Thomas needed faith enough to to grab hold of Jesus and not let him go. Mary needed to loosen her grip, Thomas needed to strengthen his, and the resurrected Christ gave both of them the faith that they needed. Amen? So, last year, um, late last year, one of my extended family members that will remain nameless, but one of my extended family members called me and said, Hey, um, Steve, which is a pastor friend of mine, Steve passed away. I said, Are you sure? I so said, I haven't heard anything about it. And what you need to realize is that in the circles that I run with and the social media sites that I follow with different pastoral groups and such, I feel like I would have heard about this. But this family member said, no, I even read the obituary. And I thought, whoa, that's, that's not good. So I, I, I did my best impersonation of my wife, which means I went very investigative on Facebook. <laughs> and, and, and I started, I started looking. I went to his page. And you know, sometimes when someone passes away, the friends will will post on the page um, as if they can see it. I mean, I'm sorry, that's just rude, right? Bad pastor. But but they'll post on there and 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 say, you know, I miss you. And, and there was nothing like that at all. I went to his wife's page. There was nothing. I went to his daughter's page. Nothing. I went to his brother-in-law's page, who was also a pastor that I used to work for. There was nothing there. Nobody was posting about this. So it it led me to believe that that. Either he's not dead or nobody cared that he was dead. So one or the other. He's not dead or nobody cares. Fast forward to March, and can you imagine how overjoyed I was when Mandy and I were standing in central Florida at a pastor's event, and my friend Steve, this pastor that supposedly was was dead, imagine how overjoyed I was when Steve and his wife come walking in and I was like, you're not dead. And he's like, huh? And I was like, so-and-so told me that, that they read your obituary. And I got so excited that I, I had to take a selfie or a wee, a wee of, of, of us together. There's, there's Steve Livingston. He is alive and well. Praise God. He's alive and well. And, and Steve looked at me and he said, well, if I'm dead, somebody, somebody better tell me. Somebody better tell me. And, and I got to thinking about that. If Jesus is dead, somebody better tell him. Because he's alive and well, man. Jesus is kicking, and he is still healing hearts today. He is still healing homes today. He is still putting people back together today. Amen. Amen. Hey, today we're going to be reading from Luke chapter twenty-four. Um, I, I want to return to that first day after the resurrection, the first day of the resurrection. Um, many people assumed Jesus to be dead, and and even some of the closest followers of Christ. Matter of fact, I think all of his followers. Thought that he was he was dead, um, and the reason why I think that is because nobody was waiting at the tomb on the third day. He told them numerous times, I, "I'm I'm going to be resurrected on the third day," and nobody's there waiting. The women on that morning they go to the tomb um, with 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 different ointments and things to to go through the the Jewish ceremonial burial customs, but but nobody is there waiting. If 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 you believe you're going to be there at the tomb. You know, just coffee in hand, waiting early that morning, like, when's he coming out? You know, nobody believed. Nobody did, Um, especially some of his closest followers. And you have to put yourself in their shoes because of what they witnessed. They, They watched Jesus die on this Roman torture device called a cross. And, and I don't want to mess anybody up, and I don't have any problems with this, but, but we, we tend to look at the cross, and we look at it a little different. And I, I know why. It's because of what it provided for us, and, and that's a beautiful thing. But, you know, we put crosses around our necks. We put them on our churches. We put them inside of our churches, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, in, in a first-century Jew would have looked at that and went, why, why do you have that torture device up on the wall or hanging around your neck? It would be like having an electric chair, you know medallion around our neck or something it's it's crazy nevertheless i understand what that means to us and the cross now has a beautiful significance for us as believers i understand that but these these people these followers of christ they watched their savior their rabbi they watched him be crucified on a cross he was dead when they walked away he was dead and, and, and it's, it's easy sometimes for us to say, well, they should have believed. He, he was there in the flesh. He told them what was going to happen. And it's easy for us to say that. Luke chapter 24, we get this instance where there are these, these two followers of Christ. They, 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 they call them disciples. They're not, they're not part of the original 12, but they are followers of Christ. Remember, he had thousands that, that followed him and listened to his teaching. We know the name of one of them. We do not know the name of the other one. But these two are no different than the rest. They, they are, are walking along a road to Emmaus, and, and they are just disheartened. Their rabbi, their teacher, has been crucified. He has been killed. And I want us to pick it up. In Luke chapter 24, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with verse 13. If you will, just leave your Bible or your digital device open. I'm going to be stopping and starting quite a bit throughout this, if you'll just stay with me. Luke 24 Starting with verse 13, it says that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened, pause, these two followers of Christ are conversing about all of the disheartening events that have transpired over the past week in Jerusalem, specifically the the, the last three days in Jerusalem. And so they, they are talking about these things. Verse 15 says that while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew nearer and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they can't see. They, 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 they see a man there, but they do not know that it's Jesus. Verse 17 says, and, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. So they're walking and, and Jesus that they do not know is Jesus. He says, what is this that you're talking about? The Bible says that they stopped in their tracks. And they just looked, and they, they, were, they were downhearted. They were sad. Verse 18 says, Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Have you ever been frustrated in, in, in a situation and, and you get short with someone? No, just me? Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know what it's like. You're frustrated in the moment, and so you just, you just kind of lose it for a moment. That's what happens. We see this played out right here. when They said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Like, are you the only person who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? <laughs> I love God. I love God. That sometimes he'll just, he'll just ask these questions that it seems so redundant, right? And, and, and Jesus does that. He was like, what things? And it's not that he doesn't know what happened. I mean, it happened to him. It's that he wants to know if you know what really happened. He's wanting to know what you believe in that moment. And so he says, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped we're going to stop there just for a moment. We're going to pick it back up in a moment, but, but we need to talk about that. But we had hoped. Therein lies the problem. We had hoped. Have you ever had hope that God was going to do something the way that you thought he should do it? And he didn't do it? But we had hope. You see, church, unholy hope is the kryptonite for many Christians. It weakens us when we have unholy hope because we surrender our eternities to Jesus, but we seldom want to place our here and now into his hands. We will trust him with our eternal souls, but very seldom do we like it when, when, when we put our here and now in his hands and, because we don't always like the way that God does things. And, and if you know anything about your relationship with God, this is one thing I figured out. God is never obligated to do things the way that I think he needs to do it. Oh, I, I can tell I'm stepping on toes right now. God is not obligated to do it the way that you think that he should do it. Oh, let me move on. I hit a sore spot, didn't it? Unholy hope leads us to unmet expectations and disappointment when God doesn't do it our way. It, it looks like this. But we had hoped for that job. But we had hoped for the promotion. But, but we had hoped for the raise. But, but we had hoped for a child. Maybe it's a little bit more personal. I had hoped to be married by now. I hoped for a better spouse, and God, look what you gave me. I had hoped, I wished, I was certain that. I, 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 that's the problem. I promise you, the problem is not on on God's end. The the, the problem is always on our end. And when the capital I gets in the way, it it, it messes things up in, in our trust and our faith in God Almighty. And so it's, it's always about me. It, it, from, from the beginning of our lives, since we are small children, it's always about me and mine and what, what can it do for me? What can you do for me? And when it doesn't work out that way, we, we are forced to live our lives with this disappointment because we're full of this unholy hope that God didn't give us that hope. The enemy has planted those seeds in our mind and we become disappointed with God when he doesn't see it through the way that we think that it should go and these followers of Christ they had hopes and dreams of who Jesus was and what he was going to accomplish for them it's it's me me i i what he's going to do for me and what you have to understand is up until the moment of his crucifixion they kept seeing him as this political and military leader, a ruler, that, that, and, and they're not understanding that he, he's fighting for their so- souls, not for the soil that they're standing on. That was the last thing on his mind. When he was on the cross, the last thing on his mind is the ground that they were standing on. He was more concerned with their souls. That's what he was fighting for. Luke Chapter 24, starting with verse 21 now, we continue the story, and it says, but but we had hoped that he was was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. That that tells us everything that they knew. It's the third day. They've been counting down the day. It's the third day, but they don't believe. Besides all that, it's the third day Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I don't know if you caught that or not. Church, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. I need you to understand how long this Bible study was. They're traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey on foot. They did not arrive in a car. It was not a seven to ten-minute drive. How, how many of you, just show of hands for this, how many of you walked to church today? You did not come in a car. You actually walked to church. Raise your hand. I didn't think so. We have that luxury, right? Seven, seven miles for us is nothing. Seven to ten minutes we can get there depending on how fast we drive. Some of you can make it in five. I understand. <laughs> At a normal walking pace, this is a two-and-a-half-hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. I've been there. I've seen the terrain. It probably took longer than that because of all the hills in the countryside that they had to walk through. At least a two-and-a-half-hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. If if today's service isn't finished in one hour and 15 minutes, some of you will check out. Because the AC, which finally feels like it might have kicked on, maybe, maybe not. But because the AC is not here, you already checked out 35 minutes ago. Can you imagine if I stood here for two and a half hours preaching? None of you would be here. You would leave. It's like pastor has lost his mind. For two and a half hours, for seven miles... Jesus begins expounding to them the Old Testament verses that pertain to the Messiah. And the Bible tells us that he started with Moses, beginning with Moses. That's the books that were authored by Moses. We call them the Torah, the law. It's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He starts with the books of Moses. Maybe, maybe he went all the way back to Genesis three and fifteen and uh, where God says to the serpent and, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and your you, you, you will strike or, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel you know, that, that that's the the curse that he put onto the serpent for misleading uh, um, uh, Adam and Eve, maybe maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus started quoting from exodus chapter 12 which we know is is the first passover where they had to have the blood of the passover lamb on the doorposts. maybe he took them there because just just at the beginning of his ministry in john 1 and 29 uh, as he's going to be baptized by his cousin john john looks at him and says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world Maybe they started putting two and two together there. The, the Passover lamb and, and, and the lamb of God that John spoke about. Maybe he took them to Exodus chapter 16, which, which is manna from heaven, where God supplied bread from heaven in order for them not to starve to death in the wilderness. And, and, and we know in John 6 and, and 35, Jesus said to them, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he says, I'm the bread of life. I am. Just as God supplied the manna from heaven, I am the the, the bread of life. But then he talks about they'll never thirst again, which would probably lead them back to Exodus chapter 17, where they they received water from a rock, and he was the living water. Maybe Jesus took them to the book of Leviticus that that, that God gave to Moses. It's the Levitical law. It's it's all of the the, the procedures that they would have to do as Levitical priests. But, But within those pages, it would say in Leviticus 17 and 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Or maybe he took them to Deuteronomy 18 and 18 that says, I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. If you remember, Jesus said that publicly. He said, I can't even say anything unless the Father gives me permission to say it he said I only speak what the father says and so maybe maybe as he led them through that through that they were having some remembrances of things that that their their teacher their rabbi had said but that's just a few of the references from the books of Moses the Bible says that Jesus didn't stop there he started with the books of Moses but then he dives into not a few but all of the prophets is what it says he begins leading this is a long Bible study Seven miles, two and a half hours. He dives into the prophets. Maybe he shared with them on the road to Emmaus, Isaiah 7 and 14, that says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know is God with us. Maybe he shared that. Maybe he took them to the, the prophet Hosea, chapter 11 and verse 1, that says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. If you remember Remember when Jesus was just a a, a little type, just a little guy, his his dad, his earthly father, Joseph, took uh, Jesus and Mary to Egypt in order to save his life from all of the children that were being killed. And he says, I called my son out of Egypt. Maybe Jesus, on this road to Emmaus, shared with them the prophet Zechariah, where in 9 and 9, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the fall the foal of a donkey. Just a week earlier, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, or maybe he took them to Isaiah fifty three and five. This should be an awakening moment, but he was pierced for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You would think in that moment they would just say, "Oh, it's Jesus." But still, it didn't click. For seven miles, two and a half hours, this man that they do not recognize takes them through the entire Old Testament of all the verses about the Messiah that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. This was a long Bible study. And as he talks we know that something starts stirring within them. They can't quite pinpoint it. They're going to tell us this later. They can't quite pinpoint it. The voice sounds familiar, maybe. Maybe it was his mannerisms. Maybe that that was ringing a bell with them. Last weekend, I performed a, a wedding right here in And and though I I, I knew the the bride's parents, the the groom's parents, um, as far as I know, I'd never met. But when I met the the groom's father on Friday night at the rehearsal, I just looked at him. I said, man, you look familiar. Where where have we met? He looked at me like I was crazy. We have never met. (laughs) I just chalked it up to where he has one of those faces that just looks familiar. Maybe, maybe. I still don't know. I still don't have a clue. It would be a great story if I could tell you where I knew him from, but I have no idea. Think about this. These two disciples, something began to click. Something began to, to put, they, they begin to put two and two together because later, we're going to read this in a moment, later they say, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? That's what they would say. That there was something going on inside of us. Now that we look back There was something going on inside of us while he opened up the Scriptures from the books of Moses and all through the prophets, through the entire Old Testament. As he shared and expounded on these verses, something was happening. Church, it leads me to believe this. Understand, to open the Scripture is to open your eyes to the resurrected Christ. When you open the Scripture, when you open the Word of God... It opens your eyes to the resurrected Christ. Please, everyone sit up. Everyone listen to me. Forget about how hot it is. Forget all, everything. Forget about where you're going to eat lunch, whether or not you turn lunch on before you left the house. Just forget about all of that, okay? I need you to realize how important this right here is. Because from cover to cover, from the family tree to the maps, it's Jesus. I didn't say it's about Jesus. This is Jesus. From cover to cover, the red letters, the black letters, it's all Jesus. In every single chapter, it's Jesus. Every word, it points. To Jesus because it is Jesus. John 1 and 1 said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. This is Jesus. John 1 and 14 tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, the Word, it became flesh and He dwelt among us. John 5 and 39, Jesus says these words. He said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me. He says, this is me. When you read God's word, you are reading me. In other words, when you open the word of God, you will get to see Jesus. You will see him in your home. You will see him in your job. You will see him in your church. You will see him in your spouse. You will see him in your children. You'll see him in your prison. You'll see him in your circumstance. When you open the word of God, and the problem is, church, we've lost a hunger for the word of God. It used to be a priority at one time in our society, but now we're raising kids and there's no priority anymore for the word of God. And, and, and I'm just gonna do it. I, 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 I borderline apologize for it in first service. I'm not apologizing for it anymore because you're gonna have to stand before God one day with this. Parents, don't neglect the importance of the open word of God when it comes to how you raise your children. Your children will see Jesus when someone teaches them to open the word of God. And if you're anything like me, listen, I I, I read, I read, I constantly read. it's, It's my job. I read God's word. It's my job. It's what I do, right? I have to study. I've got to teach this to you, so I read it. But if you're anything like me, sometimes I need somebody else teaching me God's word. Sometimes I need someone else to open the scriptures to me. Those men on the road to Emmaus, they knew the scriptures, but they needed someone else to open the scriptures up to them so that they could see the new revelation. Listen, this is a living word, church. This is a live, sometimes I die and it, it may not, it, it's not the word that's dead, it's me that's dead. The reason it doesn't make sense to me sometimes is because I've become dead to it. But I can tell you this this word is living and breathing because it's Jesus Christ. This is Jesus, and and it never dies, and and, and so sometimes I just need someone to stand before me and just teach to me, to preach to me, and just tell me what God's Word is saying, because I need to be fed too. You need to be fed. Your children need to be fed, And, and listen, I have nothing against extracurricular activities in moderation. My family has had our fair share of soccer games and basketball games and talent shows and watermelon paget God bless us I have nothing against extracurricular activities in moderation but at the moment that it becomes more important than teaching than the teaching of God's word your children will stop seeing Jesus you can teach them how to read baseball signs and signals you can teach them how to read sheet music you can teach them uh, how to read a defense in football or how to read a hitter in volleyball All of that is great and it may earn them a spot on the team. Hey, if they're part of the fraction of a percent that actually make it to college, maybe it'll get them there. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. Nothing against any of that. But what does it profit a man if he gains all of that but he loses his soul in the process? We've got to let our children know that mom and dad are hungry for God's word and that we want them to be hungry for God's word. And sometimes you have to force feed them whether they want it or not listen Mandy and I made a mistake in raising our kids we did not force feed our kids that's why Kendall is one of the pickiest eaters on this planet but I'll tell you what we did force feed the word of God and I'll stand here and I'll tell you I'm proud of my kids I'm proud of the, 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 the man and the woman that my children have become but it, it's very intentional because we didn't compromise when it came to the word of God Men of God, women of God, please listen to me. Don't neglect how someone opening the scriptures up to you can help you see Jesus more clearly. One of the tragedies of our post-pandemic society is that there are men and women and families even that they, they once were so full of faith and they loved the church And it only took 10 weeks to tear that down. 10 weeks. 10 weeks without gathering together with God's people and hearing the scriptures expounded upon. I know we did church online, and I also know that half of you turned it off halfway through. I could see the numbers. I didn't want to teach to a camera. You didn't want to listen to church on a camera. I get it. I understand that. But understand how that separation, and that's here. That's here in Alachua County, 10 weeks. There's other places that, that still they're struggling with this. We have to understand that hearing the Scriptures expounded upon that when, when that was push, pushed away, when that was forbidden for us, some people... They lost the priority. They don't question their knowledge of Jesus. They still claim Him as their Savior. But in their everyday circumstances, they can't see Him. Why? Because He's revealed through the Scripture. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And when you, when you are not hearing the Scripture being preached, when you're not hearing the Scripture being taught, You suffer. Your family suffers. And and I'm watching homes that are being torn apart right now. And and, and what I can do is I can pinpoint back to to, to 10 weeks that that they did not come to church. None of us came to church. And and, and they never returned back because there was no longer a hunger there. These men, walking on the road to Emmaus, they had walked and talked with Jesus before his crucifixion, yet they could not recognize him as he tried to converse with them. But I want you to notice something. Jesus did not question their knowledge. He didn't question their ignorance. It wasn't about what they knew or didn't know. He didn't say, how slow of heart for you to understand the prophets. That's not what he said. He didn't say, how slow of heart for you to understand the prophets, to understand the scriptures. No, what he said was, how slow of heart to believe. It's not that they didn't know it. It's that they didn't believe it. I already told you this. In three days, I will rise again. Nobody's there to witness it. Nobody is there. Not one believer is there. They didn't believe it, and Jesus calls them out on it. He says, how slow of heart to believe. He didn't condemn what they didn't know. He questioned what they knew but didn't believe. And Jesus told them so many times, How he was going to rule and reign, and they did not want to believe it. Many people know the word of God, but do they actually believe it? Luke twenty-four, verse twenty-eight. Let's continue with this story. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was, as if he were going farther. Now, have you ever had God do that to you? You're in the middle of a tragedy. You're battling a little depression. You're going through it mentally. And it just seems like God just wants to pass you right on by. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They just got to Emmaus. But they just saw Jesus alive. When they finally realized that the the excitement was so overwhelming, they packed their stuff and took off seven miles, two and a half hours, right back to Jerusalem to tell everybody. That... And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This my friend, this, this is the bread of life. It's Jesus. It's the bread of life. And when we break bread together every Sunday right here, the, the scriptures that come alive to us, whether it's me preaching or, or one of our other pastors preaching or a guest speaker preaching, when, when we hear God's word being taught, it's the breaking of the bread, and this is how we get to see Jesus. Let me, let me land this plane, okay? Let's, 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 let's get out of here. I love how Jesus though He goes from being a guest for dinner To taking on the role as host Let me show you This past Friday night We were invited over to my son and daughter-in-law's house For dinner I'm I'm very picky about my spaghetti As I've mentioned My wife had to learn how to make spaghetti like my mom I can tell you this My daughter-in-law has learned to make spaghetti like my wife This is a good thing It was great. We sat down for dinner, though. And I could feel a few eyes at the table look towards me. I looked at Mandy and I said, this isn't my house. But but Dad's the pastor. Like, Dad's supposed to pray, right? My son didn't miss a beat. He took his rightful place as host, and he offered up a prayer for our meal. It's... It's kind of a rule of thumb, right? When I go to someone's house for dinner, I don't just take control and act like I'm the host. That's not what Jesus did. What would Jesus do? Not that. They invited Jesus to eat with them and to spend the night there. He was their invited guest. The next thing we know, Jesus has the bread in his hands and he's the one offering up grace. He's he's offering up the prayer for the food. He takes control in this moment and he prays over the meal and then he breaks the bread and he starts distributing the bread. And and if if you've noticed, he has done the same thing every time he has had a loaf of bread in his hands. I've I've preached this many times, but but I think it's worth remembering. Every time Jesus has a loaf of bread in his hands, he does the same thing. In Matthew chapter 14, where he feeds the 5,000, the Bible says that he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. You get over to Matthew chapter 15, where he feeds the 4,000. The Bible says that he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. The same thing happens in Mark chapter 6, in Mark chapter 8, in Luke chapter 9, in John chapter 6, and even right here in Luke chapter 24. The Bible says that Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. And it's in that moment that they see who he is. They see Jesus. Every time Jesus touches a loaf of bread... He does the same thing with it. He blesses it and he gives it to others. Church, when Jesus is allowed to be the host of the home, that's when you'll see Jesus for who he is. If your home is struggling, if it's hard to believe right now, if your faith is wavering, it's probably because you have not allowed Jesus to become the host of the home. He's not wanting to be the guest. He just proved that to us in Scripture. When you invite him in, he wants to be Lord of all, not Lord of some. Jesus wants to be Lord of all. And and as we've said, we have no problem putting our eternal salvation in his hands. Our eternity, Lord, our souls, they belong to you. But don't you touch my wallet. Lord, my soul is yours, but stay out of my relationships. Lord my soul is yours but I'm going to raise my kids the way I want to raise my kids not according to your standards you see what I mean and, and, and God wants to come in Christ wants to come in he wants to sit at the head of the table he wants to take the bread he wants to bless the bread he wants to give it he wants to be Lord of all not Lord of some. Every aspect of our lives, He wants us to trust Him with it. Now, I want you to notice the contrast of this story, and I promise you, I'm ending. This is it. When they first started the journey on the road to Emmaus, they could see Jesus with their eyes, but they could not recognize Him. You fast forward seven miles two and a half hours later and they recognize him even when he vanishes from their sight and they can't see him this is one end of the spectrum from, to the other right they can see him but not recognize him he vanishes and they know that it's him It almost feels like to me that these appearances, they they kind of are thematic. It's almost like Jesus is getting his believers ready for him to ascend to the Father and leave the ministry in their hands, and, and he wants to build their faith. So he is making himself known in these moments so that they will live the rest of their lives committed to the cause of Christ. Maybe it's just me. Maybe that's what I'm seeing. At first, he's with them, and they can't see him. Eventually, he is no longer physically present, but they can see him so clearly. And here's what I know about this road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus, it may have been the road to Emmaus, but the journey was to Jesus. Every step that they took on that road, they were closer to Jesus. You see, you may not understand your journey. You may not get why, but if you will allow him to, and you allow the word of God to be open to speak into your life, every step of that journey, it gets you closer to Jesus, to seeing Jesus, to him, the resurrected Christ being revealed even in in the middle of your circumstance. You see, you might have thought that, that you were taking a journey or a, on a path to, to a divorce lawyer. But if you allow the Word of God to, to, to be open and to be taught and to be, to, to, to be breathed into your life, if you will partake of the bread of life as it's presented to you, every step that you take, it just gets you that much closer to seeing Jesus. You, you, you might think that, that this journey that you're on right now, that, that you are striving, striving for the promotion For the job of your dreams, and you just think, man, if I can just land that, and disappointments all along the way. But what you have to understand is is you're not on a journey to a promotion. Every step, if you will allow it to, every step of that journey gets you closer to seeing the resurrected Christ. You might have lost hope, you wanted that child so badly. every step of the journey is disheartening. But you have to realize that every step, if you allow it to, it gets you that much closer to seeing Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.